The soundtrack. Windsor, Ascot, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Wokingham, Henley, Reading. The voice, River Radio, of the Thames Valley. And a very warm welcome to Your Life, Your Way here on River Radio. How has your week been since last week? Well, mine's been action-packed and full of change. What would you say? Um, Always good to know where you stand with yourself, isn't it? I'm Deborah Fielding, and if you are listening live on DAB or on your favourite podcast platform, it's always good to have you here. And it's always good to know what's going on for you. So message in to let me know about any part of the show. That is Deborah at River.Radio. Yes, here we are. This is Your Life, Your Way. And we have, what shall we say, a close-to-home guest on The Glory of the Story. Um, Or that's home, if you're from down south. Um, She has been through many ups and downs, this guest, and is bringing a very personal story to the table this week. Uh, We move into what's in a word section after that. And then with plenty of questions in Q&A your way this week, you and I are going to tackle a handful of those together. So that address for your questions, by the way, is deborah at river.radio. Uh, We've got some amazing conversation and we're going to have some amazing music. So I'm keen to get stuck in. Let's set to it. There we have it. We love McFly. Now, last week, did you listen in to Joe Bendel? Joe was telling us all about how she felt this incredible surge in her that was meant or she was meant to have a bigger life out there and she wasn't scared to go after it either it was quite an incredible story Um, I was at the start of her journey actually and I've watched her chase her dreams down relentlessly Um, and in actual fact the very next day after she was on this show she flew out to Colombia and is living the life fantastic out there for a month uh, bringing in a ton of new clients she said as she goes so <laughs> we love joe's life um she's worked it out and she's been brave enough to go after it is that a piece of you um are there changes afoot in your life do you need a little push to step into that space and you know if you do consider this the push you need go on do a joe and go explore the world i won't be far behind you and if you didn't catch Joe's show, listen into the podcast and start from number one. Why not? In that episode, you'll find the crazy story about the baby on the train. I'm saying no more. It's such an amazing listen. Uh, so search for River Radio, your life, your way, Deborah Fielding on your usual podcast and listening to the incredible conversation we had. And 
So to our guest this week, I feel like there should be a bit of a drum roll. Uh, Let me introduce you to someone who I think finds all of her inspiration in tough times like many of us do. Uh, But then she decides she's going to do something with that hard-learned experience and make it work for others. So welcome to the show, um, me. Um, I know, I know, that seems like a crazy proposition to have me on as my own guest. Uh, What are you going to do, Deborah, exactly? Interview yourself? Oh, well, of course not. I have brought in my favourite co-presenter and someone we all aspire to be like when we grow up. And I know you love him too because you've told me uh, the many talents that is Mr. Mark Chase. Hello there, Mark. Hello, Deborah. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's just so good to have you back in the studio. I think this is either the number three or number four. I can't remember. It's it's quite a few now. Yes, and, it is. And uh, delighted to be um, your alter ego. Yes. Sort of asking you. <laughs> so your hairy alter ego. Yes. <laughs> So uh, just to remind people, actually, you have been on my show with your own glory of the story about your nuts and amazing career. And you can and must catch that on podcast too. Um, Again, that's Your Life, Your Way, River Radio. And you've also been on my show helping me. We had a ton of questions one time that you came in and helped me with, if I remember rightly. Uh And you co-presented with me, which was a heap of fun, on It's the Weekend one Saturday morning. Uh, So we have been having a great time. It's always fantastic to come in and um, it's just incredibly easy. And as you and I have discussed, uh, what we end up doing is just having a chat. And I hope you at home actually enjoy listening to it because uh, we certainly enjoyed doing it. Yeah, well, um, we laugh so much and we are, my cheeks ache usually when I've come off a co-presenting experience with you. Um, so let's see what happens today. But anyway, I'm going to hand over the controls for you to interview me. So over to you. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, this is an interesting one, you know, um, I know some of your story and uh, it, it's fantastic. But, you know, let's let's share a bit. Where do you, where would you say you started? Where does your story start? Well, I'm, I'm particularly keen to do a programme about my breast cancer journey because um, I work with a lot of breast cancer people. And I think the more we talk about um, cancer in any of its forms, the easier it is for people to understand it when they're diagnosed or for family and friends to understand it and you know, if you're going through it right now. Um, So I'm I'm always keen to talk about it because I I just remember thinking I didn't know anything when I first got diagnosed. It was quite a scary experience. I think people find it, not just the people who've been diagnosed, but for other people, they don't know how to behave. They don't know what they should or shouldn't say. Absolutely. And I think it's, that's only helped by people like you who've been through it, saying what's helpful to hear, what's not helpful to I hear. I think so, and the more you stay quiet about it, the less people know, and that's a real shame, right? So yeah, absolutely. So, so just just tell me from, from the start, what happened and how did you find out? Well, it was back in 2018, February, and it's a bit of a crude <laughs> crude comment, but I call, there's a, a mobile mobile unit comes around Marlow in February, it's blinking freezing, Um and it's a particular fog, foggy day, and I call it the Cancer Catcher Van uh, because it comes every Friday to uh, every February to Marlow. And um, I went along and had a mammogram. I uh, thought nothing of it. The machine wouldn't work properly, and it was cold, and the ladies are all so friendly and all the rest of it. Anyway, off back home I went, back to work, got on with my life, and then had to go in for a recall. Now, most people would think, oh, red flag maybe I'll take somebody with me I just thought oh it's a recall I'll go in and it's a blinking inconvenience 
And in I went. Uh, there was a queue of ladies, so I had to go at the people because they were like an hour behind and I could have been at home working for an hour. And, oh, my days. Honestly, what was going through my head, I don't know. Uh, then I was hustled very quickly through uh, because they knew, of course, and I didn't what was coming to me. And um, I was told that I'd got uh, breast cancer. And I stood in, it was a very darkened and hushed room. The consultant sat there and... I could see these mammograms up and uh, she said, we're here to talk about a lump today. And my brain, I mean, it's just fantastic. I remember thinking, I was almost like looking over my shoulder to see who's. And I remember looking and my brain went, oh, this is exciting. I've never seen a breast cancer lump before. Never thinking for a minute at all it was me. And she just sat waiting for me patiently to catch up. Um, and I always say when I sat down, the old Deborah is remaining standing by that chair and I became this whole different person. Um, and then it goes pretty quickly on from there. And um, Did this all happen in the mobile van? No, no, no. So I went to the mobile van for the mammogram and then I think there's a two-week wait before you're called elsewhere. Um, and, yeah, it all goes mental from there, really. So you, you've gone... You've, you've had your test, you're recalled into presumably the hospital and you're sat down. What happens next? And it sounds like you almost had an out-of-body experience when, you it, do. when you're here. You do, for sure. Uh, but it goes massively quick after that. Um, they There's a bed at the, the back of the um, chairs that you sat on and they have you on that. There's a, a biopsy taken. I mean, I would, right there, you're so in shock and I was on my own. Remember, I thought I was just going to have another mammogram because the first one hadn't worked or something. Uh, so I was in total shock. I, I just say it's like somebody fills your head with cotton wool and you can hear all everybody talking, but it's very muffled and none of the words make sense. So I went through this biopsy, which was grim. It's, it's like being stapled to a bed. And I wished I'd stopped it and just taken some time out for myself to get myself together. Uh, anyway, so that happened and the consultant saying, oh, it's a fine, it's fine, um, it could be a blip, you'll be in and out and off you go, uh, we'll be in touch in uh, the next 10 days to two weeks. So off I went and um, it wasn't a blip, it wasn't very good, so the biopsy came back and um, it was a bit more involved than the first thought, so then I had to have surgery um, and then the results of the surgery were that I'd had aggressive cancer. The tumour was much bigger than they anticipated, so everything started to go a little bit pear-shaped at that point. Um, and I just remember going home wondering, you know, I, rem I, I have stared down the black hole and thought, I don't really know what the outcome of this is. I just don't. And you've got two kids, and, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going home with this kind of diagnosis mm. and trying to make sense of where your life is going and... Uh, you know, how long are you going to be around, I presume? That must be one of the thoughts that crushes Completely, you. completely, Mark. I um, I didn't tell, interestingly, I didn't tell anybody when I was first diagnosed. I waited until the biopsy had come back and I knew I had to have surgery before I spoke to anyone, which is highly unlike me. Um, I'm a big sharer, and um, but I just closed down completely. Uh, and I think part of that was I wanted to know where I stood with myself more than anything. I didn't say anything to the children until I knew what I was dealing with. Um, and I'm so glad I made that choice. Um, so by the time I was able to go back and have the conversation with them, I was very confident in what I was talking about and I knew what the 
mostly what the pathway was going to be. Um, and I'm solo parenting. I have been, um, well, now for 13 years. Uh, so to tell them that, it was quite a tough call, really. It was hard. Um, I remember my son was very worried. My daughter just sucked every life force out of me to just check that what I was saying was correct. And she felt confident in what my words were. And so she went about a day kind of thing. But um, How old are your kids? They're now just about to be 21 and one's 19. So um, work that out. It was 2018. <laughs> I don't know. So, so late teens, really, mid, mid to yeah, late teens. Yeah, four years ago. So Oscar was 14, yeah. 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 Uh, um, and Maisie was 16. Um, yeah, so it, I remember that. It wasn't a very nice experience. Um, that must have been like the hardest conversation of your life. Yeah, because there's nobody there to turn to for backup. It was just me. I remember I kind of called like an AGM, uh, asked them both to come down, sat them both on the sofa, and I stood up like I was making a speech. <laughs> I think something kind of took over professionally in me, and I just wanted to be... I wanted them to see that I was confident and in control. I think that's what my... I don't know why I did it like that, but um, they both just sat looking at me, and I told them, and... Um, we went on from there and I, I did say to them there was going to be some bumpy parts. I knew that. Um, I didn't know the extent of the bumpy parts, but, you know, that's where we were at and they were great. So what next? What what line of treatment did they suggest and, and, and how was that? I mean, I presume you had chemo, did you? Yes. Uh, well, that's not always the trajectory for everybody. So I was going to go in and have surgery and have uh, the lump removed and that was going to be it. That was the blip the first doctor was talking about. Uh, but when it came back, I'd got an aggressive cancer and it was worse than they anticipated. Uh, so then I, I then the um, treatment pathway starts to elongate a bit and I'm thinking, cracky, OK, we've got more to deal with here than I anticipated. Um, so I had um, what what my fabulous surgeon called, he was great, uh, Mr El Gamal, um, said that I was going to have a wide excision. So we removed all the lump and as many lymph nodes as I needed to have removed. Um, I remember that date, April the 5th, 2018, um, etched into my mind. Um, and then I was going to go on and have, oh, I think that was about it. I was going to have radiotherapy, but once, once they'd examined the lump, they got the lump out and could really have a good look at it. And it definitely wasn't on the right side. So then came chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and radiotherapy. So all of a sudden, instead of having like a six-month pathway, I'm staring two years in the face. Um, I remember that was quite a shock. I, re I remember my surgeon giving me all the side effects of what chemo would be. It was like he'd unfilled a scroll and it was rolling out of the office. Uh, I got totally delirious. I ended up in absolute hysterics. And the friend that was with me had to just explain that she thought, you know, I'd, I'd, I was just exhausted with it all. <laughs> So how did it feel? And pe people have all sorts of horror stories about chemo. How did it feel sort of, because you have to effectively volunteer for it, don't you? You go in and you yeah. agree to somebody putting stuff in your arm. Yeah, you do. I, I mean, I always thought I'd never do that. Because uh, I'm, you know, I'm a kind of a girl that will take um, three glasses of water for a headache before I'll think about taking a paracetamol. Um, so to do that was... Uh, hard really hard I would just remember holding my mouth thinking this is a day of days it really is I did take a friend with me on every treatment that I had actually I mean I used to take a friend with me and um, a big waitrose bag full of 
really nice lunch with crockery in there and um, all my proper dishes and nap- cloth napkins, the works. And I, I made sure I fed everybody really well because um, it was a long old day. I was in there from like half nine right the way through to five, half past five. And everyone used to just be going, coming and going and going home. And I'd always just be the last one there having this whopping amount of chemo. Um, and I didn't know until the very end that um, I was having a double dose compared to what most people were in there having. I'm kind of glad I didn't know that. It would have just pushed me over the edge mentally, I think. Um, but holding your arm out for chemo, no, it's not a nice experience. Um, you just have to kind of partly blank it out in a way. But worth it, because you're here. Well, I guess so, yeah. Um, I mean, I did have a friend turn around to me and say, I'm never having chemo. I've done the research. It's poison they're putting into your body. And I'm like, hello? <laughs> you know, I'm bald here. I've just had chemo. And actually, I didn't think I would either. But I've got two children. And when you're faced with something that's prepared to take your life away from you, you just do whatever you can is the is the answer to that. So you... You've alluded to friends and, you know, have friends who went with you. What was the reaction from people closest to you, apart from your kids? Well, how did friends react? Um, well, you have a mixture, really. I think the, thing, the big thing I learned is that people don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond. It pushes them over the edge. And people you don't expect really step up and are amazing. And the people that you think will be looming large in the whole experience just disappear from view and dive out the nearest window. And I've no judgment over anybody, nothing, because it's hard and it makes you look at your own mortality, I think. I don't know what makes them like it, but... Um, I understand not everybody's the same and, you know, I had some pretty harsh experiences uh, while I was going through treatment with friends, but I also made some fabulous new friends that are with me till, you know, to, to, to this day. Um, so I was just, I remember one of my friends saying to me, you know, is this one of those times, Deborah, when you'll come out of the other side of it with the friends that you need? I thought, oh, I said, oh, it's not, is it? Because <laughs> I knew it was going to be a bit of um, a crusher. Um, yeah, a lot of people who've uh, I've, I've known a few people who've, who've been diagnosed, and the thing that seems to annoy people the most is somebody saying, "Oh, my friend had that," as oh. if there's some sort of comparison. Did that happen to oh, you? Oh my days! Yeah, I, I mean it's just incredible. Can I just implore all of you, please, not to compare somebody else's cancer with your friends? Um, and when you talk to any cancer patient, the number one thing that they have said to them is oh, my friend, oh, my, somebody died of that. Yeah. I mean, when you th- think about that sentence in the cold light of day, it's shocking beyond measure. So I had that said to me very early on. And I remember the person walking out of my house, I closed my front door and just leant with my back on it. I was within two weeks of knowing. So I wasn't even sure myself and just cried my eyes out you know that um and then same person asked me how I was some months later and I said I'm doing really well treatments response he said oh yes my my wife's treatment did really well and then she died two years later I I mean it's devastating it's absolutely devastating so you you have not just the treatment the shock of the cancer you have people around you that are like time bombs and I used to look at people and just try and evaluate is this going to work this conversation or should I just try and skid around the side of it um because I can't some days I couldn't cope with things like that um but people don't know they're trying to come on side with you I think um but it doesn't work so I implore anybody that the sentence the sentence 
that I got from somebody that was so beautiful and I expected her to be a shocker because um, I didn't think she knew how to cope with it. But she did, again, stepped straight in the space and just said, you're going through a really tough time, aren't you, Deborah? And I thought, oh, thank you. You know, it wasn't um, a crass comment. It was a re- reality comment. It was where I was. And just the acknowledgement of that allowed us to move through that and talk about other things. And it was lovely. And I'll always be grateful to her for that. And that's really the best thing you can do for somebody. And I presume on the flip side, you maybe had some people who were disappointed you? Uh, exceedingly, yeah. So um, I just have to just say that, you know, on the not so good side, I had um, round two of chemo was the most savage experience for me. And I had a very good friend um say to me I mean I've been lying in hospital all week I was super poorly um and I was trying my best to get out but it was really hard because my body just wouldn't kick start and it was trying its best there bless it um but she called me um and I remember her telling me that this wasn't all about me and it was a comment that completely floored me and led to many, many things in my life that were pretty shocking. And I know she may was maybe was having a hard time as well, um, but I couldn't handle that. Not where I was, not in that space. It was it was really shocking. Um, so I, I kind of turned it into good things to remember the friend because I didn't want to remember her with um, hate, really. I didn't want to carry that around with me. I didn't want to carry bad feeling around with me for her. So I made a podcast that started the year later called It's All About You. So, you know, I just had to flip that on its head a little bit. Um, and that's for people that are going through a tough time. It just seemed quite apt that uh, that came out. And then I turned a piece of work I developed into a lovely course um, featured around pulling yourself through a tough time. And that's called It's All About You because that just really hit a chord in me. Um, but. Mark, you and I discussed the art of being selfish a few weeks ago when you were on the programme, if I remember rightly, um, without being unkind to others. Um, but you have got to look out for yourself sometimes. So the course is all about getting the best out of your life um, after life has sat on you, on you a bit, really. Well, I think, as we mentioned, that um, it's not even selfish to have some level of self-interest. And when your life is threatened and you've got two teenage kids... Of course it's all about you. Well, that's the time. Yeah. Well, I just felt like that's the only time it's ever been about me, actually, was the truth. And for someone to try and take that off me yeah. just felt so savage. So how that played out um, was I had a very bad time uh, on round two of chemo. It was, it was the worst time ever. I had amazing support from good friends and my sister. That was plentiful. But um, I kind of took myself off um, to bed on round two of chemo because I was feeling really unwell and mentally unstable to be honest and I was thinking about ending my life is the truth Um, I felt a burden on those friends because of the comment that was made to me Um, and what enabled me to pull my thoughts through were the children and a good friend calling and coming straight down to see me uh, because she couldn't believe I hadn't had any visitors and uh, she sat with me for an hour and brought a bag of really weird food because I couldn't taste properly Um, and so we, we chatted about this and that and just it lightened my mood and I thought, actually, I think I can probably get through this. So I suppose my message is never underestimate the effect that reaching out to someone can have on their lives and um, if you can be that support for somebody, go and be it because um, it's a desperate time and you lose your mental strength, it's horrendous.
morning from chicane uh, welcome back you're listening to river radio going out to the thames valley and beyond i'm mark chase and today i'm turning the tables on deborah fielding and uh, we've been talking about deborah's cancer diagnosis from four years ago let's pick up the thread again deborah because um we were talking before about the diagnosis and then going into the chemo um you obviously lost your hair i presume did you 
I did. I lost my hair. I lost my marbles. Your crowning glory. <laughs> I lost everything. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, there's some of the side effects are pretty dire, absolutely awful, and it's it's just a miserable, rotten time. So I had treatment on a Wednesday, um, and then I had a friend stay with me. Hello, Joe, um, on the Wednesday and Thursday because I didn't want to put that pressure of was I going to be okay on my two kids. Uh, so it just alleviated that, and it allowed me to know that there was somebody else in the house that I could lean on if I needed it. And the most times that I needed it was like at three in the morning when I was raiding the fridge because I wanted to eat my own arms and legs off the steroids I was taking. Um, so you put weight on. There's one, and that's just rubbish. Um, and then I can remember my hair falling out. I had a super sore scalp, and um, I remember walking up the road, and it was breezy, and my hair was just flying off my head, just around me, and um, my head started to become really sore with the weight of my hair. I mean, I didn't have hair, you know, it's like shoulder length, but, oh, gosh, it was sore. Um, so I made the decision to have it all chopped off, and then, let, I mean, I had this little short pixie cut, which was really cute for, it lasted about a week before the whole lot had to go. I, I said to my hairdresser, I just need to get this hair off my head. It's so upsetting. And she really kindly came around to my house and did that. So I didn't have to go into the salon. Uh, and there I was. But I, I saw it that day. Um, I choose to wear a headscarf for the rest of the time and I never looked at myself. I took one picture and I've never looked at myself since. I can't bear it. When I see it pop up on my thing, on my, you know, my photos, I just have to skid right past it. Um, I hated it. I think it must be because, uh, you know, a lot of men lose their hair, which is distressing. But for women, it must be particularly difficult. You know, it's, it's so much a part of your, your identity. Funny. I know, you know, you and I have known each other for a few years and, and I know that your hair has always been really important to you. So how did you deal with it? Um, well, like I said, I just ignored it. I just put a headscarf on and got on with my life. And um, I, I really admire these women that can go out and rock a bald head. I've seen several of them do it. Um, and I just want to, I actually want to stand and give them a round of applause, um, which would be a bit embarrassing for us all, I expect. But I'm so in admiration of them for doing that. Um, but it isn't me. Um, so I wore a headscarf in a multitude of ways, um, different colours. I had so many headscarves. I mean, I could, I don't want to look at a headscarf ever again if I can help it. Um, so yeah, I got through that. My nails um, were a mess. My eyebrows and my eyelashes stayed with me right the way through until I finished treatment and then started to fall out. So I was always grateful to them for, you know, at one point I had five eyelashes. Uh, so I was really pleased with those five for st sticking with me. Um, and then my eyebrows never really grew back. I've got like a quarter set of eyebrows, but fortunately these days most people draw them in. So um, that's what I do. Um and I'm back to normal pretty much, yeah. There's just things that I know are a bit different to how I was before, but, you know, nothing that's life-altering and um, you just get on with it. So and everybody has different side effects, that's the other thing. It's, and it's not just the treatment, um, you know, the treatment and the diagnosis and all the rest of it, the side effects are savage. Um, so on the, by the time the Friday and Saturday came, I had another friend, my oldest friend, hello, Alison, uh, come and stay with me and... Um, that, those were the two worst days ever of that week. Um, when I saw her, I, didn't wa I wanted to punch her because I didn't want her to be there. I knew what was coming to me. Uh, it was going to be hard. So we went through all of that. And then you start to get a bit better. And week two, you're starting to feel like you can pick your life up a bit more. And then in week three, you're pretty much back to normal. And then you go back again. 
and start the cycle all over again. Um, so, yeah, you just have to batten down the hatches and hopefully you've got good people with you. So it all has been brutal, but you have come out the other end now. And, and where are you with your diagnosis now? Uh, well, I have a, a mammogram every year and touch wood that just keeps coming back clear um it's year four or five for me which is a bit of a twitchy year but I choose not to spend too much time focusing on that um I've taught myself a whole load of different habits you know I don't I, I can remember being quite depressed and um stressed at various points during my time being a single mum I held that responsibility deeply but I've learned not to carry that around with me and I get rid of my stress much quicker now. And as most of the time, I don't worry about anything. I just don't. It's something that just went out the window. I remember sitting on the sofa with my headscarf on and I just thought, gosh, all that time that I worried about getting cancer at some point, like, you know, we all think about it from time to time. Um, and now I've got it. None of that worry I did back the way is contributing to where I am now, not in the slightest. So I am not doing it ever again. So I don't, I just don't worry about things. Um, I've got, you know, I've had pretty big stuff go on my life since and I don't, I tend to deal with it and just one step at a time and stop. There's no point worrying. There is no point, just get rid of it. So um, I've learned to deal with myself uh, better. I've got to give my body the best chance I can is what I think. So you had this enormous shake up in your life mm. and you've come through it mm. and you're fine where are you now what are you doing oh a ton of things I tended I don't know I seem to get like on um my roller skates and just go because um it's quite an extraordinary experience to have to come to come through and um so I run memberships now for women in their 50s wanting to claim the best part of their lives after illness um or death of parents or children leaving homes divorces you name it life you know um, I write bespoke poetry for events because I love writing poetry. Um, by the way, you can find all of that via Deborah underscore Fielding on Instagram or on my profile on Facebook, little plug for myself there. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to work with others, uh, trying to build them up from what may have been a bit of a rotten time for them. Um, and I'm, I'm very aligned with my breast cancer community. So I've got a breast cancer page. You can find that at breast cancer 365 on Facebook. If you search for that at breast cancer 365, um, and you can stay on that page. There's some nice information. There's a, a small community of, um, a lot of people, but you know, a, a vocal community, um, or you can join my breast cancer membership, which is just a pound for life. And that gives you the community and live online events, um, experts join us, there's resources and uh, tons of inspiration. We're quite an uplifting group and um, that's how I want it to remain, more uplifting than mourning and whinging. We're, trying, we're solution orientated really. Um, and of course I've got my little radio show too, so to uplift others here at River Radio, which has been a, a wonderful platform to help others and um I don't know. I've I've done it since I was eight. I'm just doing it more keenly now because I understand what people go through. So, well, you are an uplifter, 
And um, it, it's always the thing that I've known about you. That as soon as you walk into a room, people tend to feel a lot better. So oh, well done to you. I um, like that. Now, Thank I know you, you've picked a song, haven't you, which seems appropriate, really, by uh, Nightbird, who I didn't know about. But tell me about it. Yeah, I, um, it's, I wouldn't say it's my favourite song. I've just picked it because of our conversation today. Um, but it's a darling little song. Uh, Nightbird ha- was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was on America's Got Talent um, and sadly died in February of this year. Um, because it metastasized and went to her lungs and uh, spine uh, but it's a gorgeous little song and she wrote it. it's called it's okay because in the middle of the night when you're not feeling okay you've got to try and talk yourself into an okay position and uh, that's the whole point of the song really so here we go
It is okay. That's what you just keep telling yourself. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Anyway, here we are on River Radio. The voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. You give one quick twitch and the thing is done. So, here we are. Uh, thank you for listening to Your Life, Your Way at River Radio with me, Deborah Fielding, and my fabulous co-host today, Mark Chase. Um, are you listening on DAB or podcast, on the app on your phone? Wherever you are, you are welcome. Yep, well, we've landed back in the what's in a word section, which is where we take one word and see what sort of inspiration we can get out of that. And Deborah, you've taken a word today and you've written something, I believe. I have. Um, I've written a short piece for my breast cancer community. Um, I also write a daily messaging service for people uh, with cancer and um, that are looking to keep their mental well-being uplifted. And this is where this came from originally. Um, And it's called Blessings. Uh, Sometimes in life you have to take the blessings in a different way to how you think they may come. Sometimes you will have to understand that you must lean on a team of complete strangers with gratitude knowing they have your back. Sometimes you have to strive to remain open to receiving new blessings. I mean, what does that mean? Well, you know, sometimes in life you have got to take blessings in a different way. You think you're going through life one way and sometimes it throws you a curveball and your blessings start to look slightly different to what you anticipated at least anyway. And uh, sometimes you have to understand that you have got to rely on a complete team of strangers I mean you know all my um oncology team and all the nurses that looked after me I didn't know one of them um now I just love them I always try and take in cakes and teas and coffees um up to the ward whenever I have to go to the hospital for anything uh, just to support them mainly because they have to buy their own which is a bit shocking um and then sometimes you have to strive to remain open to receiving new blessings and it's hard to Sometimes you just want to close your mind down. You've got to keep that mental space open and uh, welcome new things into your life, as hard as that may feel when you're going through something tough. And and that's about the size of it. But that's true of life too, isn't it, really? You know, uh, sometimes you've got to accept the help of strangers. And I, I wasn't very good at that. But over the last four years, I've become much better at it because of life. You know, it still comes at you. Um, and there's other things go on, not just cancer, really. That's You know, it's the same for everybody. So from a, a, an outside perspective, if, if you're somebody like me who hasn't been involved with cancer, um, other than knowing you actually and a couple of other friends, but I haven't personally had it, um, it can be very hard for people to understand how to behave around somebody who's been diagnosed or if they themselves have been diagnosed. Have you any help when we've, we've said, suggested it's not a good idea to compare with others? Are there ways that people can deal with somebody that's going through a hard time like that? Uh, yeah, I, I- you know, I alluded to a friend that I bumped into who was really real and just said, you know, you've been going through a tough time. It was an acknowledgement, a recognition of what was staring me in the face uh, rather than making up, you know, stay positive, like I wasn't positive enough before and that's why I've got it kind of thing. Um, so just a, a gentle acknowledgement. Um, people always like to leave you with, you know, I'm here if you need me, give me a call, but do they, are they really? Um, so the people that stepped in, um, I had people bring me around meals, which was really useful. Providing the cooking's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Um, yeah, meals and, you know, a deluge with flowers. I would, uh, flowers are lovely, but when you're not well and you've got to deal with that rancid water, it, you know, I was sick once trying to do that. Um, so I think it's just nice to try and be a bit creative and uh, supportive. So, what does creativity and supportive mean? Well, I kind flowers? of think, you know, just knocking on somebody's door by prior arrangement and sitting down and bringing in a little cake or. Um, let's have a cup of tea and a chat. I just keep you company for an hour before I go on my way to do my shopping. Goes a long way. And I did see plenty of people that I hadn't seen for ages that chose to do that. And it was lovely to just see them again and to know they were there thinking of me. Um, even though we've not seen each other for a long time, they just wanted to shore me up. Well, you know, one lady came and brought a, a brother's honey uh, he keeps bees so she brought me four pots of honey um, and that was just so touching and um, another lady brought some uh, rhubarb from a garden that, and I you know I could make a nice rhubarb, rhubarb compote with it for example and uh, just there was just some lovely little things um, I had a bag of goodies left on my door um, nice foodie things because you know your taste goes when you're having chemo um, so just little creative things like that um, some people like candles and stuff like that I don't want the toxicity of chemicals in my house so I didn't you know I wasn't interested in a candle or anything but some people do like that um just something a little bit different to having a, um, a ton of flowers well I had 52 bouquets of flowers it was quite the order <laughs> so yeah there we go better than none yeah for sure I know I sound really ungrateful don't I and I'm not I'm not that person um, no but it's useful to have a, a guide that you know that you don't really think of that, do you? No, of course yeah, you, you don't. You think, oh, Why that, would that'd you? That'd be lovely. They'll, they'll love that. Exactly. But, um, One friend brought me a headscarf. I was grateful for that because, yeah. you know, I'd got a ton of them. I was sick of seeing them and I couldn't bring myself to buy another. So it was lovely to have um, a nice, broad, wide headscarf so that fits around your head and covers all the important bits. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, just nice little... Um, tiny, it doesn't have to be a big deal. A nice notebook where you can write your notes down and get get a grip of your thoughts, all that kind of thing. So, yeah. I okay. Think. Well, we've um, moving into the Q and A your way section here, and we've we've had a few messages in from people. We got one from Annie, who's actually in Marlow, and asks, you know, when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness, how do you keep yourself from worrying all the time? Well, that's a, such a lovely question, Annie, and you know. The natural default is, the very first question is, straight out of your mouth, you know, am I going to die? That's what you want to know. Um, let's just get to the crux of the matter here. Um, and that's a, obviously a major worry um, for anybody. The truth is, you have to grab a hold of your head. And that's why round two of chemo was so savage for me, because I wasn't in control of my thinking. Um, but in a way that hitting rock bottom like that through my friend's comment kind of made me get a grip and get a team of people around me so ultimately I was grateful for that so that I could make my experience nicer so you have to build a team of people around you that you can lean into and have the support from and that just allows your head to relax a bit and um, the other thing I became absolutely keen as mustard on was um, I've spoken about this so many times on this show I've got an invisible line and I aim to live above it and not drop below it and the people that took me below had to evacuate my house as fast as they could because I didn't have the space in my head for it did you call friends I did yeah I did um you know do, is that a nice thing to do no it's yes, not always <laughs> I might have you in next <laughs> next time. I need to have a call of my friends. Um, I don't like doing that. Uh, but the truth is, you're is, you're in survival mode. 
And when you've come through treatment, that's where you stay. You're very keen to keep yourself in a good space and whatever goes, goes. Uh, so, yeah, I did have um, friends that disappeared through comments I, I personally couldn't get past. Um, and I don't wish any of them a harm. They're lovely people and I've had very happy memories and years with them. And that's what I want to remain focused on, not not the rubbish, you know. Yeah. So the worrying, I think you just got it's a practice thing, Annie. And practice it. Don't just give up on yourself because uh, worrying is futile. It sounds like you've really learned a kind of uh, a life lesson. And, and I'm not suggesting that it's that there's a good outcome, but, but there is a good outcome, isn't there, from what you've been through? Uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always said, you know, maybe too cheesily in some respects, but um, it's given me touch wood much more than it's taken and it's given me a colossal understanding of other people. It's given me an enormous understanding of myself. Um, I was frivolous maybe with my time previously, uh, not knowingly, you know, not on purpose, but you come to realise what's important to you. Um, and that just stays with you. They're not worrying about things. It just stays with me. Um, it's it's not a good thing. It makes your body feel unwell and that's not going to keep you in a good state. I understand where I may have got the cancer from. Um, it's not that I caught it from somebody, but, you know, I was I went through um, a couple of years of quite deep depression without knowing it. Um, whenever I had stress, it always landed on my chest and I'd hold on to it instead of getting rid of it and dealing with it better. Uh, so I've worked very, very hard on myself for that. And that takes a little bit of soul-searching, but, you know, I'm not scared to do that if I need to. Um, so ultimately, um, yeah, I've, I've put the work in, let's say, Mark. Yeah, I know you have. Yeah, you know, I've put the work in to get to here. And I think it, I've got a saying, you know, don't go around it, under it or over it, go through it and come out the other side a much better person because of it. And whether you want to or not, you've got to go through it when you've got cancer. But mentally, that's what I'm talking about. Go through it and come out the other side a better version of yourself. And that's always a good thing. Lovely. Okay, well, we got another message in from uh, Simon from Maidenhead, and he, he says thank you to Deborah to, uh, for the insight. Um, Simon writes, my wife is dealing with breast cancer just now, and it's terrifying. Uh, I'm feeling a bit more confident after hearing you to help her through this, and also to maybe help myself. Mm. I mean, have you got anything else you'd, you'd say to somebody like Simon, who, who's, who's looking for somebody they love and uh, looking after somebody they love and what they do? I always think that's really tough for the other people. Uh, when you're going through it yourself, you know, you'll know yourself when you've had tough things to go through. You're kind of in control of you and you march on through. But for onlookers, partners, husbands, wives, um, that's really hard because you can't bear to see your partner going through what's what's happening. Um, but I, you know, I do hear of partners kind of disappearing on on the other half um, because it, mainly because they can't cope with it themselves. Uh, but that's the very last thing you need. At, at the same time, even if you have got a partner, and Simon, I would advise you to do this if you've not done it already. Build a team around your wife because you and around you too. You can't do it all. You can't be responsible for every last move your wife makes. And if you're holding on to the control of that, it's going to have its way with you as well. Um, so my absolute best advice is to make sure she's got a group of friends around her that come and go. So they're supporting her. And you've got the same people that you can lean into too. Um, because 
um, it'll have a very adverse effect on your relationship if you don't. Um, so if you both showed up and both getting the care that you need, you're going to be able to handle the tough times um, better and, and you know, be in a better space when the good days come. Um, it's impossible to be able to cover every base as a partner and neither should you expect your partner to do that either. Um, Recognising what they're going through is just as vital as, as understanding what you're going through. Um, so if your partner's not able to build the team and you're the one going through the cancer diagnosis, make sure that you've got people around you and support for your husband too. It doesn't matter who does it. You don't need to judge each other. You don't need to have to decide, you know, I'm the one with the cancer, so I need the help. If you've got the strength to do it and pull the team together, do it. And if your partner's doing it, happy days. Um, so that would be my best piece of advice for you, really, Simon. And the second bit I'd show that up with is make sure both of you have time either apart or together where you go and do something really lovely that's just away from the cancer world, the cancer words every day that you're thinking of, all those words that you didn't know before that you've had to learn, all of that. It's just about making sure um, your head can get a little bit of respite from it, yeah. That's what I'd say to Simon. We're running out of time, but the other, I just wanted we to say, are. We, we're always <laughs> running out of time, but um, just really quickly, mm. how do you think your kids coped with it? And I know it's difficult to encapsulate that in a really yeah. short answer, but. A really nice question. I think, um, well, <laughs> my son was the youngest and he's such a good lad, uh, but he went through a really dodgy time. And I remember my friend uh, coming to stay with me, Alison, and uh, I was really looking forward to her seeing my kids and getting to know them better because uh, they're great. They're good humans. Um, and Oscar was an absolute little tyke. He really was. He be, just came up a bit unruly for him, shall we say. Um, and I knew that was because he was feeling the stress and the pressure. And he did let me know that actually he'd find himself in tears quite a few times quietly on his own. Um, my daughter, she's a bit more stoic um, and they've come through it with me the same as me because I've led that way uh, so their route forward is the same as my route forward and we've all just marched on and they're understanding that I'm involved in that fraternity now and make sure that I look after everybody and um, they're very supportive of that so yeah I think um, ultimately I think ultimately they've done a blinking great job because they're both doing so well and I'm really proud of them and that could have derailed them really well I've met both your kids and they are outstanding human beings Thank so I you. think it probably was a real growing up experience and it's I agree. you know helped to form who they are but yeah. you, you've done a very good job well thank done. you well, well it, it's hard with children isn't it of all ages because I think being honest with them is a definite route forward but where you're imparting too much information is your choice um I kind of gave them what I thought would be helpful for them I didn't moan on about how I felt all the time I didn't want them to hold that responsibility. They had enough worry of kind of stress of their own with it. Um, so I didn't want them to hold all the awful stuff. Uh, from time to time, I'd just tell them, look, this is where I'm at. This is what I've got left. Um, this is how I feel um, when I, I've got a bad week coming up. So I'll try my best to be nice. <laughs> um, but if I fall off the rails a bit and I, I miss that uh, marker I apologize ahead of time um but you know I, I need your help not your hindrance really um and they were both able to step into that so yeah so that was really great 
Oh, that's amazing, really amazing. And I, I hope that's been helpful to you, Simon, because, um, you know, it must be, I try to visualise what it must be like looking after somebody you love and it must be incredibly difficult. So Yeah, and on the other side of that, you know, I was on my own, uh, but I always am grateful I didn't have a partner that didn't really care because that would be crushing. So <laughs> I kind of consoled <laughs> that, that myself. That really is putting a positive spin on that, Deborah. <laughs> so. Well, you know, I'm not, that's, I don't know why I annoy myself at times, but my head will always take that turn. So, I, you know, I just try and hold on to the good stuff. And um, life isn't perfect for everybody all the time. It is not. And um, But you've got to, there are bits that are great. So you've got to find those, you know, the cancer fraternity. Amazing. Working with Maggie's. Or if you've not met Maggie's yet, look them up online, maggies.org. They're absolutely sensational and that's been a heartwarming experience. So there's been a lot of amazing stuff come out of it, uh, for sure. And um, would I want it again? No, touch wood, I don't get it again. Um, but, you know, we've done okay. Well done, you. There's been real, really delightful doing this with you today. Deborah. Yeah, well, it's hearing been a delight. Your, a hearing delight your story and, and going through this has been really fabulous. Thank you. So there we go, I guess. Your life, your way. Our work is done here. Um, thank you to me, my guest. <laughs> you can get my details on Deborah Little underscore Fielding on Insta and find me on Facebook or via my lovely breast cancer group, which is at Breast Cancer 365 page on Facebook to join the membership too if you wanted to for a pound. Uh, thanks, Squillian, to my gorgeous co-presenter, the wonder that is, Mark Chase. I don't think this is the last time we'll present, present together, Mark. I hope it isn't. And we said that last time. And we Every time we say this is the last time, it's never <laughs> is. So it see you soon. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And I want to leave you with a reminder that keeping your mind in a good space is everything. It will help you, your body heal. It will help stop your body getting ill. You will feel better. Your life will improve for sure. And feeling better is everything. So start by finding one good thing around you and build on that. And always try to live above the line where you can, my friends. Have a great week. And I'm playing out with one of my all-time favourites. It's more common wise and it's not what you think. It is positive thinking. When you feel down, try. Positive thinking, that's what I told the man said Don't wear a frown, try Positive thinking, laugh at your troubles instead You've got to look on the bright side On hope so much depends With your confidence sinking Positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend When things look black, try Positive thinking, treat every season as spring No glancing back, try Positive thinking, trust what tomorrow may bring This crazy world that we live in Will keep on spinning round But with good, strong, positive thinking We'll get together and life won't let us down When you feel down, try positive thinking That's what I told them and said Don't wear a frown, try positive thinking Laugh at your troubles instead You've got to look on the bright side On hope so much depends With your confidence sinking Positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend 
when things look black Try positive thinking Treat every season as spring No dancing back Try positive thinking Trust what tomorrow may bring This crazy world What we live in We'll keep on spinning round But with good, strong, positive thinking Good, strong, positive thinking Good, strong, positive drinking We'll get together and life won't let us 